What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Have you ever been obsessed with someone or something before? Like, I'm talking about the time in which you can't get that person or that thing out of your mind kind of obsession. Well, I recently came across an article that unleashed 69 modern obsessions. I'm not going to run through all of those with you, but I'm going to share the top four with you today. The number one thing that we are obsessed with or what people are obsessed with today are these things called selfie sticks. Maybe you have one, maybe you don't. But this particular selfie stick in the article had a built-in stabilizer. And I thought to myself, you know, that does make a lot of sense because in our modern age, we are totally consumed with me, myself, and I. But this selfie stick, if you don't know what a selfie stick is, you hook your phone on it, you hold the stick out, you get a nice big selfie in your group picture or photo or whatever. But this selfie stick had a stabilizer to our you're walking around making a video, it would make it stable and it wouldn't be shaking anymore. Pretty interesting. The second one on the list was a clipboard-sized whiteboard so you can jot all your notes down for the day and not have to waste any paper. Well, I have an iPhone for that. No thanks to that one. The third was a waterproof notepad to catch all the in-shower moments of inspiration that has long since been forgotten, but now you can write it down. (laughs) Now, the fourth one caught my eye the most, and it was the most shocking to me because it involves an alarm clock. But this is not just any ordinary alarm clock, and if I could, in my best marketing voice, let me try selling this to you. If you have trouble waking up and need a surefire solution, this alarm clock is just right for you. You see, it's not only loud, it also leaps off the bedside table, moves around your room, and hides from you while all at the same time screaming like R2-D2 under attack. You won't be able to sleep through that ruckus, and you'll have to get out of your bed to stop it, and after that adventure, you'll surely be wide awake. As I read that, I couldn't help but think about if I had that in my house, I would only want to get a baseball bat and I would become obsessed with destroying that piece of equipment. I share all that to say this, that there are things that we are obsessed with in our life for sure. But our text today is reminding us of the ultimate obsession for all people should be Jesus. In fact, I'm going to draw your attention to one word in our two verses that we read. And it's, it's really uh, the, the second word in verse number three. It's the word consider. Would you say that with me? Consider. Say it again. Consider. And one more time, please. Consider. This word literally means to consider accurately and distinctly. From what I understand, it is a Greek term that was used in the ancient world that they would u- use within mathematical situations and context. But it gives the idea of not only accurately and distinctively considering and pondering and meditating and uh, uh, letting it run through your mind, but but it gives the idea that you're going to contemplate on this particular someone or something over and over and over and over again. 
Now, I'll be the first to admit to you today, I do have a lot of obsessions. I, I'm obsessed with Chipotle. I can't lie about it. I'm obsessed with a lot of different things, just like you are. I'm obsessed with Starbucks. Go ahead and fire me now. I am. And between Chipotle and Starbucks, they have taken most of my money throughout the last several years. That's for sure. But hey, our greatest obsession should not be the things we buy with money. Should not be possessions that we have in our homes. It should be one central character and his name is Jesus Christ. So today, I want to just relate to you the message that I believe the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to us today. Two words, consider Jesus. Or if I may say it differently, become obsessed with Jesus Christ. Become obsessed with Jesus Christ and consider him in every area of your life. Here's a key thought I want to relate to you. If you walk with anything, this is what I think the passage is relaying to us and really the message of the sermon today. Consider Jesus Christ every day for the rest of your life. Jesus should be at the forefront of your mind always and at all times. But most of the time, we're guilty of him not taking first place. You see, if we're going to go back in the ancient world and utilize this term properly, and by the way, from what I understand, it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament, reminding us that, that we need to make sure that Jesus is our primary consideration that goes through our mental state and mind. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Let's get our minds off of the things of politics. Let's get our minds off of the things of sports. Let's get our minds off of the things of mu music. And, and while those things are good things at times, we need to make sure the main thing stays the main thing, and it's Jesus. Would you consider him today? The question I want to ask and answer is simply this. How should we consider Jesus? Or if I would, how could we become obsessed with Jesus. Well, as we look at our text today, I want to keep in mind that, that the book of Hebrews is a reminder that nothing compares to Jesus. Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the principles of the old covenant. Jesus is greater. When we think of Abraham, Jesus is greater than the patriarch. When we think of Moses, Jesus is greater than that great prophet. When we think of the, 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 the high priest Aaron, Jesus is greater than him. When we think about the principles and the laws that were established in the Old Testament, we understand that all of those things were pointing us to a greater person and figure, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so as we come to chapter 11, as we looked at throughout this year, we understand that the writer of Hebrews is trying to fix our mind upon these characters who've ran their race in faith. But now in chapter 12, he's pointing us to one who ran a perfect race. One who ran without any failures, without any faults, without any stumbling. And that is Jesus. And today, my friends, we need to run this race looking to Jesus. And at all times, we need to make sure we're considering him in every area of our life. But I want to draw your attention today in verse 3 and 4 and share three thoughts with you. Three major thoughts about how we are to consider this man, this son of man named Jesus. The first one is simply this. Consider the endurance of Jesus. 
Consider the endurance of Jesus. Now I want to draw your attention back to verse number two. And verse number two, the phrase endured the cross. Would you say that with me? Endured the cross. Then it says here in, in verse number three, endured such contradiction. Say that with me. Endured such contradiction. But then jump down to verse number seven. In, in, in three different moments of this, these seven verses, the writer of Hebrews utilizes the word endurance. In verse number two, he's speaking about the context of how Jesus, God's holy anointed son and Messiah endure the agony of the cross for us so that we could be reconciled with the father. Then in verse number three, he endured the great hostility that sinners gave to him in his life. And then he uses those particular things about how Jesus endured in verse number seven to remind us that we are to endure the correction and chastening of our heavenly father. Now, that being said, I want to zoom in and focus on the word contradiction today. Endurance means to, to withstand the test of time underneath scrutiny and great pressure. And here, we need to consider Jesus who endured such contradiction, such disputing, such disobedience, and such discord amongst the, God, the ungodly sinners of his day. Now, let's keep in mind Jesus. Jesus, can we consider him today? The sermon today is all about him. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's all about him today. So let's consider him. 2,000 years ago, we understand that he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life. He was God's anointed son and he came into his own. But John chapter one reminds us that his own did not receive him, but they actually rejected him. And that's where we get into this first concept of the word contradiction. This, this word gives the idea that these sinners received or, or, or saw visibly this Messiah, but then they begin to dispute in their own minds, is he the Messiah or is he not the Messiah? And you know the record in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these religious people began to dispute among each other. Is this the one? Well, hey, 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 the, the Bible, the Old Testament, the prophets never said the Messiah would come from Nazareth. Well... You see, he's not the Messiah. But they didn't look at the full story. How Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, but grew up in Nazareth. They began to devise all these different things and, and ways to get around and jump around all the loops and holes that they could try to, to dispute the fact that he was the son of God. But I'm here to tell you something. There are people today still trying to dispute the fact that Jesus is the son of God. The reality is, is we need to come to the point in our life where we affirm that he is God's holy son. That we affirm he is the savior that was sent from heaven to reconcile you and me with the holy righteous God. That we need to understand that we should no longer dispute the fact that he is the son of God. Like the godless sinners of his day and our age now. Maybe there's been a time in your life when you were like those Pharisees. When you were disputing in your own mind, well, is he who he said he was? Well, remember, Christ preached messages, five distinctive sermons in the Gospels. And those five sermons reveal and affirm that he was God's holy son. But then the miracles that he performed, I mean, the last time I checked, I haven't seen any of you walk to a cemetery and call somebody out of the tomb. I haven't seen you. I know you've got some polished, amazing oratory abilities, but you can't do that, buddy, and neither can I. 
The last time I checked, I, I didn't see any of you go to the fellowship hall and, and get the spigot out or the, the, the fountain out or the, the water there and fill up buckets of water and walk over them and they magically turn from water into wine. I haven't seen you be able to do that. As great of a, as a cook as many of you ladies are, I haven't seen you go into the kitchen and cook five loaves of bread and feed some 20,000 people. That'd be a miracle. None of us here today are able to do what Jesus did. And it is a reminder that we should not dispute the fact that he, he endured all of this disputing amongst the sinners. But then those disputings resulted in total disobedience. And so consider not just how Jesus endured the dis disputing of sinners, but Jesus endured the disobedience of sinners. There they begin to reject God's anointed Messiah. Here this, this word contradiction gives the idea of not just disputing, but also that disputing r r runs toward the direction of disobedience. And so we understand that, that, that Jesus lived in a time period when he was the anointed Messiah. They rejected him. And then as a result, they begin to disobey the word of God. Today, my friends, there is this concept of obeying the gospel message. In other words, we have to submit to the gospel's message that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father and that Jesus Christ died our death, that Jesus Christ rose again, and that all those who receive that message, in a sense, obey the gospel, and all those who reject that message disobey the gospel. Such contradiction of sinners that he had to endure. There are so many people today who are wallowing in their disobedience. And we are called, we are compelled by the word of God to go and share with them the good news. But this contradiction, this word, also implies not just disputing, not just disobedience, but also discord. You see, at first, notice the, the progression here. There's a time of disputing whether the fact is Jesus the Messiah. Then they begin to concrete themselves in the idea that he's not the Messiah. Then, so they disobey his message. And then as a result, they begin to stir up trouble and sow discord amongst all of the people of Israel. Dividing the people of Israel in the Gospels. We see they did. They did just that. Here, it says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. They began to sow discord amongst discord. Oh, he said he could rebuild the temple in three days and it took us tens of years to build this one. Oh, he said he could save himself and had power over the, the grave, but he, he's hanging on the cross and refuses to get down. They begin to shout and sow all the discord. And then the Jews begin to stir up trouble amongst the Romans and sent Jesus to, to this person and then to this high priest and then to that one and then to Pilate and then all to the governor and all these different things. And then next thing we know, their discord resulted in the very death of the Messiah. So all I'm asking you to do today is consider the fact that Jesus endured the disputing, the disobedience, and the discord among sinners. Consider Jesus Christ every day for the rest of your life. Who are you obsessed with? Are you obsessed with Jesus today? Well, if not, I invite you to become obsessed with him and consider Jesus. May I draw your attention secondly now to the second half of verse number three. The Bible says, for consider him 
that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Check it out now. Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have to understand the context of the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it was being written in a time in which the Israelites, these Jewish believers who had now affirmed that Jesus is the Messiah, were being tempted and pulled to go back underneath the Old Testament law in Judaism. And so they perhaps were being tired. They were becoming tired of, of, of the conversations. They were tired of all these things. And, and they were, were being tempted to go back to their old ways. So secondly, I want you to understand this. Consider the persistence of Jesus. Not just the endurance of Jesus, but his persistence. Consider Jesus and how he persisted in his ministry. Notice the word wearied. Would you say that with me? Wearied. Say it again. Wearied. One more time, please. Wearied. Jesus persisted when he was wearied. This word literally means to become tired. You go out in the yard, you might do some yard work, or you might go off at your job, you might do some hard manual labor, and you become wearied. You become tired. That's what it means here. Jesus certainly became physically tired as he was carrying that cross 2,000 years ago, and he almost passed out. And somebody had to come and help him. But the point is simply this, is that... The writer of Hebrews is reminding these Jewish believers that Jesus, if he went through all that he went through on the cross, did not grow weary in the job that he was given. You too can be equipped by God with supernatural grace and strength to go through whatever you're going through. Even when you are tired. For consider him. Unless... You are wearied. Jesus was certainly tired at times and he had to lay down and take a nap. He certainly had to go to sleep at night like you and me. But that's not the kind of wearisome that we're speaking of here. It's this idea that Jesus, we know he was wearied because of the things that he said throughout his life. But, but he never was so tired that he said, all right, God, I'm hanging it up. I'm going to throw the towel in and I'm going to give up. He never did that. He continued to persevere. He persisted. But then check it out now. This, this word wearied in our Bible here, it gives the idea of not just becoming tired, but becoming tired in such a way that you are weak. Could you imagine going through what Jesus went through on the cross or before the cross? He had to go through all these different trials. I mean, he went through multiple of them. It wasn't just like he went to one court case and he was done. He went to, to this court, this court, this court, this court. He went through so many. And so he's obviously tired mentally. And physically and spiritually, he was weakened. And there they beat him, chained him to a pole, and whipped him, and whipped him, and whipped him. And he was so bloody, his own mother couldn't recognize him. Then somehow he managed to have the endurance and persistence to stand up and continue to walk. And then I'm sure he was stumbling as he was walking, barely able to, to go around. Then they handed him this big wooden cross that he was to carry. And you know the story as he was walking down the Viola Dolorosa, that road to go to his death. He stumbled and fell and collapsed. And somebody comes, they grabbed in the crowd and had him help Jesus carry that cross. He was weakened. He was tired. So many times when we are tired, we become Weak, and we become weak 
we give up. And so check it out now. It says, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. This word faint literally means kind of to pass out or to give up. Have you ever fainted before? Have you ever been in that moment where you fainted? Well, years ago, uh, back when, when uh, Brother Leo was with us, him and I decided we wanted to go for this little six-mile bike ride or loop around the house. And, and so we were just being a little competitive with each other, and we decided we're going to try to ride down this massive hill as fast as we can. And so we're pedaling, and we're pedaling, and we're pedaling, and we, we get up, and we, we're going up and all down ups and downs of the back road there in Franklin County and Boone's Mill. And then we get up around this one, one hill, we go around this curve, and then all of a sudden, I just start to see all the dots. And I pull over and I just like fall over. And I passed out. Those things happen to us. You might have passed out because you were sick. You might have passed out because you're overdoing it at the gym. I don't know. But what I do know is here in this passage, the Bible is telling us there's times in our life as we're walking with Jesus that we become tired because of the work we're involved in. We become weak because of the pressure that's building upon us. But then we want to give up in the process. And here, all, all the writer of Hebrews is telling us today is that you're probably tired to, to these Jewish believers. He says, you're probably tired of all these people trying to drag you back underneath the law. You're probably wearied and you're weak mentally and physically and them trying to pull you back under the customs of the Old Testament. But, but I want you to know this, that if Jesus endured what he went through on the cross and pursued all the way till death, you can overcome all the pressures of society. And so I'd say this to you today. Right now, we're obviously not these people 2,000 years ago receiving this letter. But we know that we can receive application from this letter. So there are pressures pulling at you in different directions. And sometimes there's people in your life, they know you're a Christian now, and they're trying to pull you back to your old habits and your old ways. And all I'm saying is this, that if Jesus endured the cross, you can endure the trials that people are putting upon you today. Consider Jesus because he persisted perfectly. Consider Jesus because he endured perfectly. Consider Jesus every day for the rest of your life. Who are you obsessed with today? Is it someone or something outside of Jesus Christ? I urge you, I invite you to become obsessed with Jesus Christ. But now may I draw your attention to verse four. I'm not gonna lie to you today. Verse four, at first as I begin to read this, I had no idea what this verse meant. Listen to it. It says, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against us. I said, what in the world does this mean? Well, we're going to get into that in just a second, but, but I want to share thirdly with you. How should we consider Jesus? Well, not just his endurance, not just his persistence, but then thirdly, consider the resistance of Jesus. Yes, Jesus endured the trials that people brought upon him. He persisted in all that he had to go through that God the Father ordained for him to do. But then he resisted sin itself. Now, I, I think it's interesting here. This verse is reminding us in verse number four, the more I begin to read it and the more the commentaries I consulted and the more I spent praying and asking God, God, help me understand this text. I was reminded that verse number four gives the idea of martyrdom. He's looking at these Jewish believers and certainly in chapter 11, there were some believers in the Old Testament who died for their faith. There were some apostles who were crucified and died for their faith and they went through all this persecution. But the writer of Hebrews is reminding these Jewish believers, he says, hey, listen, you have not reached the point of the same endurance and persistence and trials that Jesus went through. They haven't shed your blood yet, you're still alive and you're not in that particular situation. So the point is simply this. 
is that because we have not had to endure the, the, the severe trial that Jesus went through, that God can give us the ability to overcome the trials of life. Now, you probably have heard the statement, God will never put on you anything that you cannot bear. And there are, there are plenty of people out there who will question and say, that is not found in the Bible. Now, sure, that exact phrase is not found in the Bible, but I actually want to show you where that phrase is, is based from. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read the verse to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's an amazing verse. Verse 13. This is where that phrase is based on. Now, check it out now. God will never put on our shoulders something we cannot bear, but sometimes we put things on our shoulders that we cannot honestly bear. But the Bible says this. There is no temptation or trial taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So listen, God is not going to put something on your shoulders that you cannot bear. And I think that's the truth that, that the writer of Hebrews is revealing to these believers in the ancient world. That hey, you haven't reached the phase and the point where you are being put into a corner to say live or die. In this particular moment of martyrdom. And so if Jesus endured these things, we know we can, we can do the same. Now let's consider Jesus again in verse 4. As we think about this concept of how these believers had not shed their blood for their faith just yet. Or at least some of them in the New Testament did. But these ones specifically did not do that at that time. But it says, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Consider this about Jesus. Jesus resisted sin by opposing it. May I draw your attention to the word resisted? Would you say that with me? Resisted. Say it again. Resisted. This gives the idea of standing against or in other words opposing. And that's what Jesus did. His earthly ministry, his life of 33 years was an, a, a great opposition against sin. Now listen, there are plenty of people who opposed him. There are plenty of people who fought against him. There are plenty of people trying to get him killed. But he did not back down. He opposed it with two hands in his life. Jesus resisted sin. He did it. And the sermons he preached. And the miracles he performed. And the life he lived. And the things he said. And the things he did. Every day as he walked from this part of the region in the world he lived in to this part of Israel. He opposed sin. Now listen. I believe we are to oppose sin firmly. But also graciously and lovingly. We are not called to take a bullhorn and to march into the different areas of our world and, and just shove the faith of Christ down somebody's throat. We are to stand firmly where God says, if God calls it sin, we stand on it. But we do it with grace and compassion. Reminding ourselves there was a time in my life when, man, I was wrapped up and entangled by that sin. And so I know that if God can deliver me from that, God can also deliver you from that. There is freedom from sin in Jesus. So we are called to oppose sin like Jesus. But listen, the verse goes on to say, you have not yet resisted unto blood, but he did, Jesus did. Jesus was the greatest martyr that ever lived because it is in his martyrdom and his sacrifice that opened up the doorway so that we could get to know God by faith. He says, then striving against, would you say those two words with me? Striving against. In verses one and two, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of a race that the Greeks had and the Romans had in the ancient world in a Colosseum. Now he's turning the attention to a fighting match, or if we could, the boxing ring, 
or the MMA ring. Or just go to the hockey game. You'll see a fight, I'm sure. So Jesus, he not only opposed sin. In other words, he, he, he built a wall, a partition saying, I'm opposing you. You're not welcome here. But then he actually fought sin. And I'm not talking about he got his boxing gloves out like Muhammad Ali or some of the Iraqi Balboa, you know, in that movie. I'm talking about how Jesus fought against sin in a unique way. And the only way that, that, that God could defeat sin and destroy sin. And as through the cross, Jesus combated in that way by dying the death that we deserve. He was the greatest wrestler throughout all history. He wrestled with sin in that moment. And as he was fighting sin there on the cross, it was as if he was abandoned and forsaken by the Father. And he shouted out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was in that moment, my friends, when the sins of humanity was resting upon the Son of God's shoulders. And he felt the total wrath of God resting and pouring out upon him. And it was in that moment when he died for my sin. It was in that moment when your sins were nailed to the cross. It was in that moment when Jesus opened up his arms and said to the whole world, all who labor and need rest can find rest in me. All who are entangled by the deceitfulness of sin can find forgiveness and grace in me. He strove against sin. By fighting it on the cross. Now there's been times, I'm not going to lie to you, that I've tried to get my boxing gloves out and I've tried to fight the devil in sin. And there are times I might get, the, get a nice blow to the devil, but listen, he's been around a whole lot longer than me and he's a whole lot stronger and wiser than me. And every time I try to combat him in his own ways, in his own terms, I fall flat on my face. So from this day forward, let's consider Jesus who fought sin. Let's consider him, how he is the only one who's able to overcome and defeat sin. And so as he was on that cross, yes, he opposed it. Yes, he fought against it. But Jesus resisted sin by defeating it. Notice the word sin here. It's the Greek word hamartia. This is the word that we get the idea that we have missed God's mark of perfection. We do not measure up to God's holy standard. Only Jesus can. And that's why Jesus had to come. Because I couldn't die that death. You couldn't die that death. I have sin in my life. We have sin in our life. We are not the holy, spotless, perfect, sacrificial lamb that was preordained in eternity past to take away the sins of humanity. Only Jesus can do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter, we read how we have victory. We have victory in Jesus. We are overcomers, as Paul said in Romans chapter 8. We are victors, as he said in chapter 15 of Corinthians. My friends, the only way you can overcome sin is not by becoming more disciplined and developing a team of accountability partners in your life. While those things are very helpful, the only way to overcome sin is through Jesus. The only way to fight sin is through Jesus. The only way to oppose it is Jesus. Consider Jesus. All I'm asking you to do today is to let's set our minds on the greatest figure of all time. When we've stumbled, fallen, and sinned against God, let's consider Jesus. 
who died in our place to forgive us of our sins. When you don't know how to share your faith, will you consider Jesus? He is Jehovah Nissi. He is the Lord, our banner. And all we have to do is shout his name from the rooftops and people can come to faith in him. When you don't know which way to go in life, will you just consider Jesus? He is Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, our shepherd. He is the one who guides us each day. Listen, when, when doctors don't have a prescription for your problem, will you just consider Jesus? He is our Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals and our great physician. When you feel like you've been forgotten and are all alone, will you just consider Jesus? He is our Jehovah Shammah. He is the Lord that is always there and present in our times of need. When the enemy tells you that you are a failure and you're never good enough, will you just consider Jesus, who is the Lord, our righteousness, who gives to us the righteousness of his son, Jesus, so that we can be made right with him? Listen, when you can't measure up to God's perfect standard, will you just consider Jesus, who is the Lord, who sanctifies his people and makes us holy? When you don't have the resources to pay your bills, will you just consider Jesus today? He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will always provide for his people like he provided for Abraham way back in the book of Genesis. And now he provided a sacrificial lamb for us so that we could have direct access to the throne of God. When calamity and trials and adversity surround you and you're about to give up and pass out, will you just consider Jesus. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord, our peace. When you're outmatched in a war against the enemy, will you just consider Jesus because he is Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts who fights our battles for us. My brothers and sisters, will you just consider Jesus? Let's consider the fact that he resisted sin. Let's consider the fact that he persisted even in trials and he endured all of the agony of the sinners disputing him. What is your greatest obsession today? Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's a person, place, or thing. But I invite you to become so obsessed with Jesus that his life and ministry pours in you and through you so that all can know. My closing question is simply this. Will you consider Jesus Christ every day for the rest of your life? What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.